Guess who? And guess what? Footy Prime is launching a gin, and we're having a party to celebrate. Thursday, June 6th, join the whole FP crew for Footy Prime's one-night stand at Nickel Nine Distillery in Toronto. Come celebrate Footy Prime's one-ball gin with Nickel Nine Distillery mixologists on hand, Charmin's proper pies, meet and greet and photo ops with your favorite primers, and a live Atska's Almost Anything podcast. Footy Prime's one-night stand, June 6th at 7 p.m. till when we kick you out. Tickets at eventbrite.ca. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Greg, Donna, Jimmy, JC. You're listening to FP Interviews, in-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. A few weeks ago, we invited today's guest onto our News and Such Friday pod because she was a well-known and great resource to discuss women's soccer in CF Montreal. But it soon became apparent that she'd be a great guest on Interview due to A, her, her knowledge, B, her journey, and see the fact that she has no problem calling us idiots, which we are, every one of us. It's Amy Walsh. Amy, welcome back to the show. We're glad to have you. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I started off on a bang here, just insulting people left and right, and long may it continue. <laughs> you fit right in. You really do. Right in. Yeah. We are absolutely. So keep that up, please. But, you know, this is about you. Um, and your career. I'm going to take you way back right now, okay? Um, not to age you. Although it is your birthday, by the way. Happy birthday. Yeah, it was I a mean, birthday a month ago. Yeah, it was a month ago. So why the hell are saying happy birthday to her? Like, just now? Before we recorded? Because you came late. And because she you forgot about some old wounds. She brought up some old wounds and I had to insult oh, her back. Do you know what the best thing is? And he gets on and he goes... Oh, I was just on your Wikipedia page. Ah, yes. Yeah, there. but I saw the age. I saw the age, not the actual birthday. And then I come on here and, and you're in mid-conversation. Happy birthday, Amy. I thought, well, I assume it's a birthday then. Not a month ago. 
See, idiots, <laughs> all of you. Yeah. Maybe were you yeah. everyone you except for Amy. Wikipedia page? Were you changing it to like? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy sucks. Yeah. By the way, what, what losers? <laughs> what what losers actually do update Wikipedia pages? I mean, it's really useful, oh, but my God, you must have more time on your hands than the average person, right? If you. Constantly updating Wikipedia. Oh, it's Wonger. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Wonger updates them. Yeah, well, we, uh, Sharms, we see how well you handle working three jobs. Uh, I wonder, Amy will explain in this interview what it's like working three jobs uh, yourself. If you handle it better than, than Sharman does. Can't get his yeah, no right. kidding. She's busy. She's very I'm handling it pretty well, apart from coming to podcasts late and all. But let, let's okay. take it back, shall we, Amy? Let's take it back here. You know, you, you, you <laughs> began you know, your college soccer in Nebraska. Um, back okay. in those days... Were you eyeing a career in soccer or was it just a great way for a great education? Well, I mean, Nebraska and great education aren't really often in the same sentence, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> I started I started at McGill. So you're on you're on, yeah, shout out to Wonger. You're on a, off to a good start there in terms of your education. I was in phys ed and then uh, quickly realized I didn't want to teach. And so I was going to go into um human kinetics, something, you know, studying the human body, that type of thing. And then, because actually McGill, to take it back even further, coincided with, I'd been in with the U20 national team, done very, very well, and then was committed to go to, to go to McGill in the fall. And then John Walker, whom I ended up playing for at Nebraska, from Kingston, um, Marty Everding, also from Kingston, and a huge Canadian contingent that ended up in Nebraska. Um, they, in that camp, it was August. And so I was starting end of that month at McGill. He said, do you want to come to Nebraska? And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm all, I'm all set. I'm going to McGill, but not really realizing what the soccer landscape was at the time for women's soccer in uh, CIAU at the time. And now, now you sports. So Nebraska was, I look back on it now as like a pivotal moment for me in, in my career. Cause there was no career in, in women's soccer really at the time. It was just pursuing a dream I found out there was a Canadian women's national team as a teenager because two women from my hometown in St. Bruno Connie and Maureen Kant were in the local newspaper as you know participating in the first ever World Cup or qualifications for the World Cup and I was like well I want to do that because up until that point my sporting heroes were Wayne Gretzky and my older brother um, so yeah to go back to your question Nebraska was a huge moment for me because McGill was a bit of a letdown in terms of the level of soccer I tried out for the full team, the World Cup team, the following summer. And to nobody's surprise, but perhaps my own, my level had really dropped off. So that jump to the level of play at the time, to the NCAA and the way that we were supported, the training environment, the competition in daily practice was essential to me as, as a, as my, as in my growth as, as a player. And then I was a starter on the CONCACAF winning team um, the next year in 98. Do you so think that the competition, a, uh, Amy, in the United States in the college is obviously better for development, I guess. The standard of play is much higher. So do you find that's the best way for women in Canada? Is that the route they go to American colleges to, to get the best development possibly? Or, do, or is well, that possible in Canada? Well, it's interesting now. And, and so, um, Brendan, you were talking about, you know, juggling jobs and my and my new role with CF Montreal to kind of develop a, a women's soccer pathway or something vibrant an alternative for women in this province in particular but this country um, to get to the pro level um, because for a long time the NCAA route was the only way that you could maybe seek out a, a pro career whether it's the NWSL or overseas if you're lucky enough to have a European passport um, 
but youth sports now, I think, is, is the, the level is much higher than it was 20 years ago. So that's an option. But I think the short-term goal for me at the club at CF Montreal is to hopefully create a women's academy. Um, right now, the men have a U15, U17, and the reserve team, U23 team under the first team. So it wouldn't be that robust to start out with, but it would hopefully be maybe the, the, the top of the pyramid, maybe filling that gap. Um, you know, around the U17, U18 age group. Because mm. Quebec is in a unique position because of the culture, because of the language. I would get this question posed to me by national team coaches. What, what's happening to all the, the talent in Quebec? Because they would come up through the youth system, but then they would drop off. They would just fall out of the picture because they weren't willing to make that leap to the NCAA because of the language. The language itself was a barrier for participation. So if we that and that still exists today. So if we can provide something for them locally um, in in Montreal, where they can have that springboard to potentially a pro career uh, with more and more opportunities available to them, then that's what I hope to do here. But yet, yes, the NCAA route is still very much one of the only ones. But there's an issue, and I'm sorry this is so long-winded, but I was doing the commentary for the U20. Um, Women's World Cup and Canada didn't do very well. And one of the questions was asked was, well, yes, they're affected by COVID, lack of funding, not a whole lot of camp, not a whole lot of time spent together. But most of these women are competing in the NCAA. And then you look at the rosters of, of France and some other teams that they were competing against. And it was playing with the, the you know, the, the Ligue 1s and then all of these pro teams down the line. And so if they're in a professional environment year round, how do we hope to compete with that when they're in an environment where they're maybe playing high level soccer for four months? So it's, it's a huge, a huge question with tons of implications, I think with, with the landscape here in Canada. And then what happens, uh, Amy, when you develop, you get this team together, then you need a competition to play against and that's yes. not going to be local. You're going to probably have to travel for that, right? Yeah, it would most likely be um, the way that the U15 and U17 team play in the MLS next and something like that. And then if you look at the Thorns and there's a few other NWSL teams that have academies and then they, and they play in a, a NC and ENCL, if I'm probably getting the, the abbreviations wrong, but it's some sort of a, a youth pro circuit. And uh, that's one of the options that we're looking at, but yeah, that would be something that we would have to provide for them is, is the level of competition because something local doesn't exist right now. The, PEF, which is the um, kind of the national training center for, for Quebec, the U15, U17s, like the elite girls in Quebec, they play in the PLSQ, which is, you know, what the, the highest level of competition. But as older girls or older women who are competing, and then you have the League One in Ontario, League One in BC, that right now is the highest level of competition in Canada for women. So, mm. you know, we, I've been talking about this uh, ad nauseum and, you know, we, we need a league here. Um, to develop these players and to fill that gap so that we can really deepen the player pool for not only the youth national team players, but, you know, create a pipeline into our women's national team because for, you know, I, I, and again, I've said it so many times, but we're number seven, I think now in the world in the FIFA rankings, like it's, we're going to start to to drop if there's, there's not that base of the pyramid that's being held up. So what's the dream scenario, Amy, if you had a, a blank slate and money was no issue and you could create it? Is it a hybrid of a women's CPL with an MLS Next Pro, like a, a women's CPL that has the, the Canadian MLS teams involved? 
Yes, I think so. I think you you look at what exists now with with the infrastructure that is provided by the MLS teams in Canada. I don't think it's to go the NWSL route to bring that into Toronto or to one of those um, to one of those cities. I think you have to maybe use those cities, use what they have, but then create more of a female CPL um, system, um, and then maybe you explore other other markets because the the demand is there, the support is there. Um, so I, it's going to be difficult. You know, you have the, the challenge of the geography in, in, our, in our country. Maybe you create like an east and a west thing to make it more viable, but it has to be sustainable. Um, so I know I know Dee's working really, really hard on this and I'm going to do my, my best to support her. We've had conversation with Bria Carr-Harris, who's been hired by the CSA for the Women's Professional Soccer Development. So she's sort of creating her own mandate in, in a sense, because nothing exists for her as well. So um, I'm in a similar position with, with CF Montreal and looking to figure out the best way to proceed um, to really foster the development of, of women's soccer here in this province. And there's so much talent to mine. So I'm really excited about that. But the, the way that you go about it is a little bit less defined. It's great that CF Montreal have hired you and you mentioned Bria as well at the CSA level. It's great. It's progressive. You're pioneers. But are other clubs, they say all the right things when asked about it, mm -hmm. but are they doing the right things? Are they believing in this and pushing it forward as well? Yeah, I think so. I think for a club, and I, I, I told this story the other day in an interview for, for uh, La Presse in French, but back when we would have like the, the awards for Quebec for you know, pro soccer players and, and youth um, players. It was called the uh, Gala de Mitin. And so as a national team player, I would be invited to these and, and be in a category with like Izzy Morneau and Rien and as the best professional player from Quebec. And I would cross paths with, with Joey Saputo. And, and I swear he would see me coming and be like, oh my God. Not <laughs> That's this, all right. He's, not he's like that when I again. approach him too. <laughs> Um, so I, I'm sure he got tired of it because at, at the time uh, I, I wasn't playing with the Laval Comets that came later. And I was, I would just say, listen, like, why would you not have a female impact? Like, like start it off. Like you have the talent here. Like why would you? And he was very polite. He was always very respectful, but I felt like I, I needed to, to get the attention of, of people in positions where they could really invoke some change. And, uh, and, and again, so I, I find myself now so many years removed from that and having the same conversations. So that's a little bit um, frustrating um, that we find ourselves in the same positions, trying, trying to create something for, for women. So I, I think that for, for the club, first of all, just to be just publicly to say, we're interested in speaking to the women of this province, the other half of the population that there's so much here that we can develop and that we're on board for what, even if it's at the grassroots level to begin with, I think is, is a really positive thing, but to step back and me personally as, as an ex player, I think it's frustrating to look at these big markets where there are MLS teams and, and to say, there's still, there's still nothing to, to, to speak of in terms of a women's professional scene. There's nothing. So that, that <laughs> remains frustrating. And like you said, we're seventh in the world right now, Canada, but the world's getting so much bigger from women's mm -hmm. soccer right now that the big nations, traditional nations are now taking it seriously. Um, are you concerned that, you know, because we're so in its infancy right now in Canada, um, as we build the women's program, that's great, but it's still a few years away from really having a big effect overall 
on, on the yeah. World Cup team. Is that a worry for you as the Englands, the Germanys, the Frances, you know, Sweden's getting bigger and better all the time? Yeah, of, of, of course it is. And you see, I mean, Spain now taking, taking a step back and, you know, you see what's going on in the NWSL with the, with the systemic abuse and the misconduct and, and how it's being run. Um, and then with the Spain, um, the, the national team with, with the guy in charge and, and not having the backing of the players and all of the players called in taking a stand and they're going to have a friendly against the U.S., um, I think uh, coming up, yeah, the U.S. is going to play um, England and then, then I think Spain. Um, and then I think 15 of the regulars aren't going to be on that roster. And, and why can't we believe the players? It's, it's so frustrating. But anyway, um, to get back to your original question, to, to see a country like Spain, d- despite what's happening at the moment, their very quick ascension to one of the world's best is due in part or due in large part to what they've created at the club level so that these national team players, the way that they're able to play and play with one another is because they have these partnerships that they've created at the club level. And they're able to piggyback on the existing infrastructure from the men's program pro game. Um, so, so Canada is of course going to lag so far behind in that respect. Um, and, and England, and you see the success, the overwhelming success with the euros. And we keep talking about the, you know, the numbers and how many people were, were at Wembley and, and all that sort of stuff. It, it's, it's fabulous, but I think we need to start talking about what's happening on, on the field and the on-field product and the, and the, the quality of football that's being played. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really incredible. And then I think our, our women's national team is, is also come on, but I, I do, I don't know what the answer is, Charms, but I, I, do, I do worry that very soon or in the next few years that Canada is going to be staring at, at, at a gulf in between them and the world elite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our best players will be fine because I think they'll get picked if they got European passports, they're going to play over in Europe and benefit from that. But mm-hmm. uh, not everybody will benefit from that. Will they, Amy? I mean, a lot of people can't access the European market uh, at all. No, that's it. And, and, you know, I, I talked about it with you guys too. And when, when Rian Wilkinson was, was inducted into the Canadian soccer hall of fame, she basically used her platform and like her media to talk about a lack of a women's professional league in, in Canada and to talk about girls like Vanessa Gilles who have the luxury of having a European passport. And so they get to go to Cyprus and play at Bordeaux, go to LAFC, and now she's going to deliver dream and play Champions League with Lyon. Like that's the success story. But there's so many more young women like Vanessa Gill who maybe came to the sport late like she did or just started playing and have this dream of of playing pro soccer but won't get to do it because they'll be forced to to work a regular job and hang up their cleats and maybe play for fun. And your development does not stop once, you know, we talked about the NCAA. Say you're 22 and you're done. For a lot of women, they, they might be done their sport playing at a competitive level because there's nowhere for them to play. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's really sad. And, uh, you know, for, for us to continue to look at this, to have identified the problem, but to, to not do anything about it is, is, is really, really shameful, I think. Do you know, I, Craig, I, I look back when we played as well, you know, a while back when we were playing certain countries and the rosters came out and it has the clubs that you played, played with. And there was a handful of us that were playing over in Europe and we had so many players that were unattached, 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 because back then there was nowhere for our players to go. Yeah, that was, that was like the second or the biggest club we had was unattached. 
Yeah. Well, same for us. Right. But then, exactly. then you looked at the opposition and everybody's playing in these leagues, domestic leagues and wherever it may be. Yeah. And people don't realize that, you know, especially with the women's program, we, we were so dominant for so for so, such a long period. And the rest of the world's kind of pulling away now with all their domestic leagues. And and eventually it seems like that's what's going to happen with, with us if we don't get this done properly and quickly. We're going to end up with a roster with a few people playing overseas and, and playing in top leagues and then others that are unattached because there's nowhere for them to go. And they've got to get this domestic league up and running as quick as possible. And you think... You would think that with the CPL right now um, and the infrastructure that they have, why would they not be getting together as well and saying, let's get women, let's get women's teams? Because one, it's another way for us to generate income and it's going to just improve our player pool for this national team program to make sure that we continue to, to, to compete with the rest of the world. Is that a chance, Amy? Is, that, is there an opportunity? Have you talked to any owners or people in the CPL about that? No, I haven't, but uh, I, I think there you run into the conflict of interest with some of the owners in the CPL and the CSB and the lack of transparency there and and maybe how eager they would be to have a, a women's team. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the way to go. I mean, there might be some, and that's great. Um, but I, I think you, you can maybe use some of the CPL teams in the, in the bigger markets, but then you can also explore other markets in Canada that would be happy to have a, a female team. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And would, people would come out in droves to, to support them. It's a good point because, I mean, some of those CPL teams are still bleeding money, right? Owners got to be pretty committed to because it's a build, right? I mean, when you, mm -hmm. if you start a women's CPL, it's going to be a build. It won't be straight away 5,000 a game, I wouldn't think. No. The CPL has had that difficulty as well, right? You need that that commitment. Did you see? I saw you retweeted actually, Amy. Um, the Rugby World Cup, Women's Rugby World Cup, yeah. is now going to be known as the Rugby World Cup. Just different logo, different, you know, obviously color scheme and that. But that's a huge step. Do, do you think is soccer just behind other sports in this regard? Do you think, or is that rugby being, you know, going on the front foot and being very progressive? Yeah, I think they're at the forefront of it. But uh, traditionally, soccer or you know, FIFA lags behind. A, a tremendous amount um a little bit archaic in in their views but uh i mean i i just wonder about that i mean why wouldn't you just call it the the world cup and it's 2022 and that's the men's cycle and the world cup 2023 is is the women's cycle people aren't as dumb as we think they are or maybe they are but I, <laughs> but i think uh i think that it would be very very easy to do i don't know why there would be a reluctance to do that and you, you mentioned colors of logos. So are we? Are they talking about like pink? pink yeah, I know. I, I wondered about that actually. Are we, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be like a causing the, issue. The, the silhouette with the boobs and a ponytail. Because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not on board. Yeah, <laughs> that might not go down too well. Maybe when Seth Blatter was in charge. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's it's rugby. It's not FIFA. That's exactly what happened with FIFA. But no, I think I think think about the WNBA logo and the NBA logo, especially now. I think in the last three years in particular, they have taken that WNBA logo and really made it so prominent that it's it's you know as recognizable as any of the other like league logos honestly i think that that soccer can absolutely do that um in in removing the women's title by making the logo as prominent as something we regularly see and if it's the same one that just has a a color scheme change based on who's hosting the tournament honestly i think that could have the the biggest kind of branding impact in in rebranding it yeah, yeah. Totally agree. and pink is the color right you guys are going for it? 
It should it be like pink across the board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's where we are. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're, we're discussing important issues here, Amy, and uh, you know, you're so well spoken. You're talking about my but... retweet. Hugely important. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I know. But like, women's soccer, though, and obviously you get drawn into that. You know, is the only... hey, we know a, a, a female journalist who knows. You know all soccer, right? Um, I, I do find though that we often do this. It, it's it's unfair. This is about you and your career. I want to hear about your journey as well. So you know, you played years professional football atlanta ottawa montreal you mentioned before laval um being a pro footballer back in the uh, you know i guess what the, the noughties like 2005 r- around there a little bit earlier maybe what word did you just use the what the, 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 the noughties that's what it's called right 2000 2010 the noughties oh, okay. i didn't know yeah n-o-u-g-h-t-i-e-s i thought you were saying the 90s with like a no no like no the, like the, the if, if i used um your accent i'd be saying the the, the noughties Right, which sounds but, inappropriate. I think maybe, maybe it's an it English does. thing. The North, you haven't heard that before. No one's like, heard what that before. See, what are you reading on Wikipedia about me? What have I done? <laughs> yeah, right. It is the internet. It is the internet, Amy. Yeah, that's why it was late. Charms, you were, you were, you were the one doctoring my Wikipedia page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He was trying to hack um, into your phone. Charms, you naughty man. <laughs> you naughty, naughty man, Charms. I, I, I can guarantee you, we've got listeners who have heard of the Naughties. When referring to two thousand to two, I bet we what do you don't. Call it? What do you call it? Two thousand to two thousands. That could be that could be up until any time. That could be up no, until if now. it I was. Like at- this is like that one of the the bits, the slang they got Bernadeschi to do the other day, and and you didn't know <laughs> yeah. what any of them were. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm obviously cooler than you people now because I acknowledge I wasn't cool enough for the the Toronto slang, but uh, early two thousand slang, I'm all over it. So uh, uh, don't know about that, fam. <laughs> I think you're just making this one up. I, yeah. but, you know, I'm not making up. I guarantee we'll have people on this this uh, thread when this is posted saying, "Yeah, of course, the Nardis. We all call them hey, whatever." Moving on, you played a long career, a successful career, Amy, uh, in, in women's professional football. But back in those days, like financially, yeah. w- w- was it tough? Were you able to to make a living? I mean, I'm sounding ignorant there, but I'm, I'm curious. I mean, the I only played one year in the WSA, which was you know, the, the result of the 1999 Women's World Cup, which I participated in with Canada. We didn't make it out of our group, but the, the U.S. women winning that and, and everything that ensued, everybody knows, um, was part of it was that league. So I got drafted after Nebraska to play in San Jose. I played there for a little bit, and then I got moved to Atlanta and made a pretty decent salary. Um, but that was basically the only money that I ever really made playing soccer so you very generously said had a long professional career (laughs) but and I call it that now but I call it professional because I was able to play the sport that I loved Mm -hmm. um not really for a living I got to do it but I had to usually work a job and I got Mm -hmm. a stipend from uh, Sport Canada and then prior to the Olympics in 2008 we were we were paid a salary with the national team but other than that, it was, you know, playing, playing for playing for some chump change or some pennies here and there. Yeah, so that would be that was the this. only time that I was really paid a proper salary was that was that lone year that I was in a WSA. Because otherwise, playing with the Laval Comets, we didn't get paid. You know, we got a couple perks here and there, but we rode buses and stopped at truck stops. And 
I was mm-hmm. a token vegan. And so what would I get at the truck stop and maybe get a baked potato? <laughs> <laughs> have to, like, Good luck. Which is not like your best pregame meal, right? And so, and then uh, Cara uh, Lang and I were two vegans on the national team. And so yeah. we would travel on trips and we'd have like our big Adidas rolly bags with our equipment in one. And then we'd share another one that we'd pack with like, you know, vegan protein powder in our blenders and bars and peanut butter and all the all the kit and caboodle you know so uh, it was the same thing playing kind of in the in, in that iteration of the w league back then it was was not professional by by any stretch of the imagination were you were you classed as foreigners playing in that league or did they have an agreement with the the ussf and the csa no today it's still the same are canadians classed as foreigners down in the the american league I was an international. I was considered an international, and that was part of the reason I didn't play the second year. So I was uh, a defensive midfielder who wasn't scoring bags of goals, wasn't really kind of the the flashy international player they wanted on the roster. I mean, I admittedly I did I didn't play very well that season, but um, they went with uh, Sun Wen or somebody from China, which is even I would say much better choice. Well done. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then I think 2019, um, the NWSL did away with the, the federation involvement at the player allocations. So, and then regard, uh, regarding if Canadians are still considered as internationals, I don't know the answer to that question, to be quite honest. I just know that the federation no longer pays for the salaries of their own kind of players, their own Canadians, say the CSA. They once did that, as did the Mexican Federation and, and the U.S. Federation. And then the Mexican Federation started their own very successful league um, where they really built up and developed the youth system in Mexico, in the Liga MX, or the, the female version of it. And then, uh, yeah, Canada and the U.S. no longer do that. You know, given how Europe's woken up to the women's game finally, is that something you, you would have liked to have played in had you been around and the game was you know, bigger than it was back then? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I could have gone over or I had, um, I was actually speaking to a girl who plays for Miguel and she called me, my sister-in-law knows her and she was just looking for advice. Like one kind of the, the new role with CF Montreal and what's sort of coming down the pipeline, but also just as an ex player, she's like, what, what should I do? Like I just sort of bouncing things off of me. And she's like, what's your one biggest regret? And my biggest regret was after I was let go by that Atlanta team, not picked up as an international, I had an opportunity to play with the team in New York. And my confidence was so shattered um, from being let go, like by being released from that team, that I opted to not go with that New York team. And I, I, I wish that I would have, I don't know if it was an ego thing or... Um, I was embarrassed and I, I wish I would have had, I wish I would have spoken to somebody, you know, to say like, this is happening and, and I'm feeling really shitty. I don't believe in myself as a player. What should I do? But rather than do that, I just declined the opportunity. I opted out rather than maybe further the embarrassment. And so I told her any opportunity that you have, because I think she's studying to be a physiotherapist and, but there's maybe opportunities for her to go play in different places. And I said, whenever, you know, the, the timing, you might think of it, of it as not being good timing. But if you have an opportunity to keep playing, take it. And so that's the one regret that I have, that I was so sort of insular in my thinking and, and worried about other people thinking that I was a failure. Nobody else thought that, you know, now with, with 
you know, 20 years removed, I have that perspective. It's a bit but, of a um, defense like mechanism, I, though, isn't it, Amy? Yeah. A little bit. You don't want to go there yeah. and get let down because you feel so shitty now. And how are you going to feel if you get if you fail again or you don't make it? But you're right. You probably should have taken the opportunity because yeah. things can change and your mindset changes, form changes. But yeah, but you might not be on this podcast right now had you made that move, right? <laughs> you never know. Yeah, maybe. But, <laughs> no, <laughs> yep. Shooting for the stars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, over 100 caps for Canada. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. Jimmy and Craig often talk about, you know, their time at Canada and how the group was so tight. You know, there, there was ups and downs, but the group was always tight, a good group of guys. Was that the same way um, with your experience playing for the women's team who were successful? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that time that I mentioned where we were, we were salaried, um, so that we were living in residence in, in Vancouver, like those two years were, were incredible. And I mean, obviously that, that kind of culture and, and community feel was built up even when we were coming in for the odd camp here and there. But when you're really like living together and you're training twice a day and you're doing everything outside of your sport together, um, that re- really created kind of uh, a, a lifelong bond that I, that I still have with, with a lot of those women and actually you know I was listening to your um podcast with Jerry D and um I don't know what made me think of it and I didn't have time to really dive deep on YouTube but I'm pretty sure we played a friendly against Brazil at BMO in the lead up to the Olympics in 2008 and I think he hung around the team for a couple days and was like asking us questions here and there pre and post training and he interviewed me at the middle of, of BMO um, and I think that randomly asking everybody in the team, like, who's the funniest person on the team? I won. And I'm pretty sure that it was Jerry D. And so I have to double check my information. But like that, that type of what well, that wasn't just sort of a, a, hey, guys, I'm the funniest type of moment. But it was just <laughs> it, it, it jogged my it jogged my memory. And um, I need you're to go fucking back hilarious, Amy. Yeah, I'm you're, you're killing it right you now. Guys. You hear all of us laugh. No, but with the likes of Melissa Tancredi on the team, I was taking the win there. I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was all over that. No, but like those, those personalities and like the, the quieter ones and, you know, the big stars like the Sinkies, but who was, who was quiet in like the, the day to day, but was always involved, was always in the background, always kind of had an eye and everybody was always sort of plugged into what was happening. And then the louder ones like me and Tank and, all those guys, like th- those types of, of, of memories and the, the locker room stuff. And that's what I miss the most, yeah. you know? So yeah, I, I consider myself so lucky to have played over a hundred times for my country and a couple of world cups and the Olympics and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't take, take that lightly now, like s- such a privilege to be able to do that. But the best thing about all that were, were the people that I met and the friendships that I made along the way, for sure. Yeah, Our team was the same, except we don't spend quite as much time together. So when we started covering after a retire, covering the women's program in the early 2000s, I was like, wow, this is, this is a completely different world. Like, and, and one that I really enjoyed being around because they were so tight and so respectful for each other and worked so hard for each other. It was just, it was just different. And I know when we lost the rights, uh, you know, something that men would never do, but they pulled me and Jerry Dobson in the team in Los Angeles and signed a couple balls for us and said, you know, thanks for, 
the coverage. We used to follow the team everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was a lot of fun, but it was a, a definitely a different dynamic than the men's team, just naturally because you guys spent literally so much time together. Yeah. Way better sure. interviews too. Generally speaking, much better interviews, the women's team. There's, the men's had some good ones. Oh, Jones, yeah. Good, Craig and good, but... Uh, yeah, like guarantee, like you always get intelligent, thoughtful answer. Some of those Canadian, the, the dudes like didn't want to be there, didn't want to talk to the cameras. So I thank yeah. you for that over the years, from a yeah, purely selfish too, standpoint. I mean. Basically, it was talking to a team full of Alistair Johnstons, right? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> world class, world class interviewers. Now you you jumped to the the media world as well. Um, like, was that a difficult jump for you? You're a natural, but was it difficult oh, for you? Thanks. Was it was something you planned? No, not anything I planned at all. And actually, after I played, because um, you know, I talked about regrets of not going to that, not going to that tryout. But another one was not being able to play under John Herdman. So I had my first, my oldest. He's twelve now, um, in twenty ten, and I trained all throughout my pregnancy, and I wanted to come back and finish off that cycle. And it was uh, Carolina Maracci who was the coach at the time, and the team was basically in Italy all the time. And Martina yeah. Franco also had a son. I think they're three days apart. And uh, we were told by the Federation that if we wanted to join the team there, we were welcome to, but we had to pay for flights. We had to pay for lodging. We had to pay for food of the person who is to take care of these little babies. So we were, uh, I consider it gently being pushed into, into retirement. So there was a bitterness there that I didn't really recognize um, until I sort of found my way back. And so I, I sort of removed myself from the game entirely. And I, I, I did my um, yoga teacher training and I taught yoga for the longest time. And then it became more mobility and movement and breath thing and working primarily with athletes and the CF Montreal Academy as well and athletes in the area. And uh, that's the way I kind of, kept my foot in the game a little bit, but remained at a distance. And it was during the Tokyo Olympics, the local station, TSN 690, asked me, because of the time change, a lot of the games happened to be on the morning show. So they would ask me to do like a, like a pregame or come in and do so like a halftime analysis and stuff like that. And so it afforded me almost the luxury with, with three small kids and a, and a part-time job of teaching this yoga, mobility, and movement stuff to to watch a game in, in its entirety, which I, I hadn't really done. I obviously followed the team and did all that sort of stuff, but I'm a Liverpool supporter and my husband's parents are from Glasgow. So he's a Celtic supporter. Um, but I, I didn't really have, get the chance to watch games the way that I, I once had. And I was like, my God, like how much have I missed this? So it was just being really close to the game again. And then after that, they said, Hey, do you want to do sideline? And I was like, I've never done that before. You guys know that, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah but just give it, a, give it a go. And then I, I didn't know what they were going to be paying me at that point. So I said, yes. <laughs> and, um, and, and loved it because it was, it was almost like the, it was the missing element to me finding my way back to the game. Part of it was coaching my twins. So my oldest plays lacrosse and hockey. My twins play hockey. They play everything, but like mostly play hockey and soccer and it was it was two-pronged I think it was coaching those guys coaching my twins and then also finding myself on the sideline and being up close to the best to the the sights the sounds 
for worse the smells of the game you know and being being right there and and being a newbie being so green not really knowing if I was going to be any good worried that I was going to make a mistake but just adoring it and actually it's a funny story so it was still COVID times or post-COVID right I mean I don't know if we're even post-COVID now but so it was a, a microphone attached to a stick with like hockey tape was like my social distancing mic so I'm, I'm in between the two benches and I didn't really know where to go. And they kind of gave me like a cursory point to the far end of Stad Saputo where the players come out from the locker rooms. And they're like at halftime and at post game, make your way down to the corner. But I wasn't allowed on the pitch. So they kind of, as I make my way down, I, I make eye contact with the comms guy and he's like pointing to where I need to go. And, but there's throngs of fans that are there. So I'm making my way. I've got my little notepad or I've taken notes and written my questions down so I don't forget because I'm worried that I'm going to forget what I'm supposed to ask the players. So I take my social distancing mic and I'm trying to get myself all set up with my notebook. I put it between my legs so I can like grab my phone and my other stuff. And I bend down to put something in my bag, but this long social distancing mic hits a guy in a crotch right behind me as he's walking <laughs> by. And he's like, oh, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You speared him. <laughs> I did, right, right where it counted. My first outing was a bit of a disaster, but, um, but, but I loved it. And that was my sort of first foray into the, into the sideline stuff and, and then doing regular hits on the radio and then doing some TV stuff for, for TSN for the, for the women's team. So yeah, I, I've just loved it. It just, I think to, to come back to it just allows me to be as, as close to the game as I can be um, without playing it myself. And that's what I, lo- I love most about it. You looked like you were enjoying it that one night in Montreal when that typhoon was going on. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. But I made friends with George Larac. He's the sideline reporter for a French radio station here. And the first time, it was last season, where it was just a torrential downpour. I'm sitting there with, like, like the soccer, um, you know, K-Way on top of, like, my trench coat, <laughs> double hooded, like, miserable, so wet, absolutely soaked through. And I look over at George, and he's got an umbrella. And I'm like how come George Larat gets an umbrella? Like, what is going on here? So I made friends with him and he was like, listen, they might say that you're not officially allowed to have an umbrella. He's like, you just, you just stick with me. Bring your umbrella down. You have a problem. You send them to me. So I've got George. He's got my back. So I had That's, that's George Larat, the old, the, the, the enforcer. Yeah. He does sidelines. He does sideline reporting. Okay. Wonger, Wonger, we got to get George Larat on the show. We'll get oh, George Larocque on the show. And his on. English is yeah. pretty good, too. It is, yeah. His yeah. English is great, yeah. 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 He'll have some stories for sure. Oh, that'd be With your umbrella, you'll be taking eyes out instead of balls. Well, I would think <laughs> TSN. <laughs> wow. No kidding. Well, TSN doesn't have one of those giant, you know, promotional umbrellas that they give out of golf tournaments for you? You would think, right? Okay, TSN. I've got, got a spiffy jacket now. Okay. I'm they sure blame it on stadium umbrellas. Yeah, could be wrong. They'll, they'll blame it on stadium security though, because she's on the touchline. They can, I can yeah, see probably. why they blame it on yeah. that. But yeah. you've you've had a pretty good season for your first season as a sideline reporter, Amy. Uh, it's it's like the I think that the teams rewarded you for uh, the, your service of standing in the rain. That's some yeah, it's clearly play. my involvement that's led to their success this season. I think. Yeah, really good team, Amy. Really good team. Yeah, good or great, Sharm? <laughs> we'll find, We're gonna out, find we? out. We're going to find out soon enough. I yeah, hope so great. really, so that you're measuring stick? Like, 
You're not going to call them a great team. They have to prove it to you in the playoffs. For the record, it, it wasn't me that said it. I was defending mm. the person that said it. But yeah, they got yeah, to do it. Yeah, a high Listen, take it back. The Leafs are a great regular season team, but they've done nothing in the playoffs yet, right? So they're not a great team. Yeah. But no, they're a good team. Yeah, they're a good team. When they win it, they're going to be great. Oh, there we you go. too, Jimmy. Let's hope How they stay good. How proud you guys. How proud <laughs> yeah. you lot. I think if TSC had a comparable season to the one that CF Montreal is currently having. It would be great. Yeah, they'd be winning the World Series. Singing a different tune. Yeah, exactly. You're right, Amy. They'd, they'd, they'd win the World Series. Right. First round. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be saying that, though. Then you, People well, would then be saying, be saying we well, a great team got dumped out first round. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. Amy can speak to this. I think what makes this Montreal team different. I'm not with you a lot. I think that this team can be great in the playoffs. And the reason we're not saying they because, can't be great. Yeah, you you hate Montreal. We understand. You've got a whole <laughs> anti-Quebec thing as well, Charms. Like let's just, let's just call us. <laughs> yeah, let's make it political. Yeah. No, hate I hate French. many parts of the world. But I, I love I love Quebec. Yeah. He's such a liar. Yeah, I'm not. What, when have I ever said anything anti? Just before this from... show started, Charms, you were talking about how much you hate Quebec. Yeah. And every time I was late to this show, I was late to this show. Remember? That's the way. Every time you cross the border and you go into into Quebec, you start singing "England, England." <laughs> I'm that guy. I, think I, I just checked my Wikipedia page. Says knows. Um, Charms and Charms hates all Quebecers. That's what it says. I'll be found yeah. out on Wikipedia. <laughs> That's, yeah. Damn it! No, yeah. I've, 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 I've got lots of French Canadian friends. Yeah, <laughs> Beyond Amy, and name another one. George Laroque doesn't count. You haven't had him on the show. He will, he, right. he will do soon enough. I guarantee you that. Me and Patrice he covers Bernier hockey players well. and French Canadians for you, eh, Charles. Yeah. Okay. Covers your whole thing for you. I think if George I Laroque wants to hold an umbrella. He's going to be able to hold an umbrella too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Listen. Amy, the, the, the reason they became on the on the show today was was to get uh, Wonga's rapid fire questions. Oh, that was the main oh, yes. reason, right? Because she's been after this for a while. So yes, finally, you get what you want there, Amy. Uh, Wonga, take it away. You're on a desert island. Hang what? on a second. What? Which way are we going here? In order, like, so we don't step okay. on each other. You go second. Then we'll go. Are we all on the same screen? This is all part of the podcast, Amy. Just so you know, this is how silly we are. <laughs> So sh- you're under me, right? Like everyone sees yes, the same screen. I'm under okay. you. So then let's go. You, me, me B, B, you, yeah, and then down, and then there we go. And I get there. You go. <laughs> and Charms, you're on fucking mute again. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm just saying this is ridiculous. <laughs> There's some really stereotypical <laughs> questions here by that French Canadians. Just so I'm saying here, Wonger. Yeah. So you criticize the first me question no is stereotypical. Just so we move and the into second one. It, okay? And the second one. Yeah. Wow! You asked who runs this so the, our Twitter account. Now, just so you know, nine questions is run by Wonger. Yes, yes. it's so it's aged. The timing's it, horrible. He's very clever about this. He's a great producer because he's passing off these questions to the rest of us and around the horn. So that I the think these are fun. these are good questions. Well, let's just Jesus do it then. Christ, you're on a desert island. Questions too. You're on a desert island. What <laughs> Montreal staple do you bring to eat yourself? Smoked meat sandwich with a pickle, oh. poutine, or a tortier? Mm. Well. I'm going to go with the side of, no, I'm not saying that because that's going to come back. She's a vegan too. I was going to say a side of pickle and then that soundbite would forever be used as like a really awful thing that I said. JC, 46.15, she said side of pickle. (laughs) (laughs) Just loop it. That's where I hit that guy with the social distancing mic. Side of pickle. Yeah. Well, his pickle's fine. <laughs> she really is a ball buster, isn't she? Yeah. There you yeah. go. There, there it is. His pickle's fine, but the pickle onions are a little bit sore. 
vegan, so I, I can't go with anything there. You could go with a poutine, no? Vegan I mean, cheese? I guess vegan it's poutine is kind of underwhelming. Jeez. But I'm going to do a shout out to no, a, a vegan institution in Montreal. It's called Ovive, and it's the best vegan food. And Wonger, you're going to be in Montreal, right? I am. And hopefully, yeah. we'll, we'll, I want to chat with you. So hopefully, we'll, let's, we'll let's talk about Let's go after. to Ovive. There you How's go. For some vegan food. Okay, Craiger, your, nice. your go. Bieber, Drake, The Weeknd, or Celine Dion? Are you, are you rehashing questions from. The Julia Grosso episode? No, no, we rehash them all the time. We throw these at we throw these at everybody. <laughs> she listens water. No, I we, we ask these listen. for everybody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I should feel special here. Okay. This it's not one. Rehashed. Yes. It's, this we one. ask it all the time. Um, I gotta go with Celine Dion. Because I I'm, I wasn't a big fan, but then you see the love that she got it's sort of towards the tail end of my career. Celine kind of became a thing, especially with KK. Like, oh my God, like ridiculous. And I actually roomed with Karina in Nebraska and she's always been a Celine fan. So almost ironic, but now further removed, there's there's some love there for, for Celine now. Was but it, not like when I was a young kid, like I was not in, 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 into Celine at all. Are you telling me Karina LeBlanc and you, this was your hype music to get ready for games? No, not hype music. It was maybe like, apartment music prior to going to the field and then and then we'd play different hype music yeah she was All not right. a hype music thing be, <laughs> yeah. be your turn what was the last show you binge watched mm. again not a ton of time and if i have time i'm watching sports mostly and my husband's the laval rocket color guy so we're forever like i'll come downstairs and be like oh you're watching the Habs game but he's watching it like <laughs> It's re he's rewound it and it's paused and there's notes and I'm like well I'm like screw this I'm not watching the game with you I'm gonna watch it upstairs, but but that said we have been watching The Crown. Oh yeah, mm. me too. Actually. Yeah, and that I was that was pre up. that was pre Queen Elizabeth dying, so but oh, yeah. it's sort I know of how it ends. fits and starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. die don't they? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, your next question. Worst pitch. Worst pitch you have ever played on internationally, and uh, why? Worst pitch. It's got to be in the Caribbean. No, or maybe not. I don't. I don't think it is. That was there was a Concacaf one. I remember Andrea Neal telling a really awful story about a pitch in in like Central America somewhere. But gosh, it was probably in Morocco. Yeah, we played, we played there and the pitch was like, I remember with McGill, um, you would go play in um, Trois-Rivières and it was like a, like home cooking because it was the narrowest, shortest field you could play on. And like their team was, was set up to, to beat teams on that pitch. And I remember the Morocco field being quite similar and we were highly athletic and we wanted to like run them and, and then kind of kick and run and route one. And you weren't able to do it on that pitch. And it was also, you know, like tons of divots and bumps and lumps and stuff like that. So off the so, top of my head, I'd say that So one. the Trois Rivières one or the one in Morocco? No, sorry, the one in Morocco. Okay. But I was just comparing that one to the Trois Rivières one for the dimensions. Oh, I see. But Yankee Craiger? Stadium is still probably worse. Yankee Stadium oh, is worse. Yeah. It's more narrow. Yeah. 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 Craig? Best game you ever played for in Can for Canada and why? Gosh. 
it's hard sometimes to pick one. Yeah, you got a hundred. Yeah, great question. You got a hundred to choose from. I don't think yeah. that's hundred two. There, there was a skin in Morocco. And you always remember your first, your first good yeah. game, or your first great game. No, they were all great. That that's probably your debut my, at twenty. My first, my first cap was was special. I was nineteen. We played China. We played at the University mm. of Ottawa, and I think we stayed in in the dorms close by but my parents were in the stands and my sister cindy was on the pitch with me so that was pretty special are you kidding that's amazing yeah cindy played for two years for the national team i know she did i didn't realize you guys were, she didn't play yeah you guys were on the same pitch when you made your debut yeah well i don't know if she came in, came on as a sub but i started um my first ever cap and uh i think she came on as a sub later on in the game yeah See how she slipped in that she's better than her sister? Anyway. Right. Um, Charms. I'm older, so I Char- that anyway, right? Charms. Did you guys used to beat her up? Be were you Cynthia? tough on your sister when you were growing up? Yeah, I was. So, like, my imagine I have an older brother. So, he and I would get into it. And then Cindy and her twin, Sarah, are only two years younger than me. So, the three of us fought so much. And whether it was, you know, competing in sports or was competing and we lived in a small house in in St. Bruno seven of us in a really small kind of split level house and it was, it was always for space and for what was yours right so like they would swipe my clothes and I'd get furious and that's what made you a good stuff. footballer yeah that's yeah, maybe. Shit. yeah. yeah well, one, actually, one was uh... my sisters are like all of my siblings are kick-ass athletes like my brother's a cop in Halifax but he's one of those annoying guys who picks up any sport and is just terrific at it. Like he's a lefty, he writes lefty, but he, he's almost ambidextrous. He can throw with mm-hmm. his right. He can, he played great soccer player. Um, Cindy accomplished soccer player as well, as I mentioned, played on the national team, but her twin Sarah is five ten, super strong. Like if she'd, we all played ringette growing up. If she'd chosen uh, hockey, I swear to God, she would have been on the women's national hockey team. She just didn't have that, kind of competitive drive that Cindy and I did and right. uh Bonnie the youngest I kind of protected because she's two years younger than the twins and so I would always side with her and the twins were always wrong so I was the <laughs> older protective big sister charms um I was gonna say that Wong was was, was often beaten up with his brother as well so oh, got something in common there happened all the time okay next question uh what's your favorite go-to comedy movie oh man <laughs> this is rapid fire. Come it's on. Also rapid. I, I thought you would have said dozen summers right away after listening yeah. to one. Yeah, that, that's that how she <laughs> describes the show. Um, it's about as rapid as being on the field. Watch, um, Elf always comes out Christmas time. Elf is always the the first movie on in in the household. But yeah. I mean, I just, I'm one, not though. prepared for this. I wish I, I wish. Oh, I had time Jesus. All things, you've been like... doing on Twitter. Wonger, why can't I do this? What the hell? Most <laughs> famous. For the rapid fire. <laughs> Most famous person you ever met. Cool or a dick? Who would be the most famous person I ever met? Christine's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Charms Where is a great person... <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't even know who the most famous person would be. No, I mean most most people were usually pretty pretty cool. God, I'm, so this, was I'm the worst. This any is any prime this ministers? Is like the worst. No. When you were with the national team, no. No. Any FIFA executives? 
probably, <laughs> but like not famous Dicks. ones. Joey, it, it, it might be George Leroy. Leroy. <laughs> George Leroy. Yeah, yeah. No, George is the best. <laughs> yeah. There you go. George LaRock, we're going to answer for you. And he's a lovely guy. Okay, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> B. Uh, Desert Island Music. Name three artists or bands that you need. Why are you laughing? Uh, because this is obviously going to be a quick answer. Amy, you suck at this. No, I know I do. Seriously. This is the worst nine questions ever. Yeah. Really yeah. I'm glad you made decisions on the Joey pitch faster. Way better, yeah. Right? <laughs> My Thanks God. for coming on the podcast on eight questions. Uh, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> we right, we should so have sent her the asked. answers. Yeah, I know. We could have. Uh, fans I absolutely need Desert Island. Uh, hip. Huge, tragically hip fan. Yeah. Uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, Led Zeppelin. Ooh, oh, okay, good guess. Very good choices there. I'm yeah. sorry I doubt Let, Just do that one. Starkey's going to like you. Hey, do you like uh, Led Zeppelin, right? Have you heard the, the band from Detroit, Greta Van Fleet? They're wicked, huh? His voice is so similar. It's very, insane. very similar. How similar it is. Yeah, yeah. to Robert Plant. Jimmy, you get last question, brother. Okay, three people dead or alive you would invite over for a dinner party. Number one. Hello. You do have you do have a good laugh. Um hmm. Three people dead or alive. No, you only need two more. Yeah, no, you're not in. <laughs> Come on. No, you don't. This is bullshit. You're, you're not in. Right. Um, I'll, hmm. I'll give you one. I think you're gonna ask Karina. Karina LeBlanc. No, Kiki doesn't get to count. <laughs> okay, okay. I just thought like for the party. Yeah. No, she's good. Stalin, she's Hitler, funny. and Paul Pot. I I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> be interesting, wouldn't it? Would be. Yeah. No. Uh, okay. So I'll say Gord Downey. Oh, oh yeah, good one. one. Yep. Gord would be first. My mom. Oh, my mom died a year and a bit ago and she oh, died sorry. of oh, Alzheimer's. Yeah. No, I don't want to be a downer, but um, my mom was the best. And uh, just, well, the way you're answering started... these questions, it's par for the course. <laughs> I know, <seriously. laughs> I know. My dad died too. Right? She was the funniest on the team. Yep. Hey, answer. My <laughs> mom died. Great answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom. So I could like just, really get in there and, and, and figure out what, what she's thinking because we didn't get to for, oh, for the great. longest time. Yeah. Um, and who else? Oh, maybe like Terry Fox. Ooh. Oh, that's a good table. That's See, three Canadians. Canadians. It's quite eclectic, isn't three it? Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Is Jimmy the waiter though? Yeah, Jimmy the waiter. Well, I'll tell you, Amy, you know, a, a lot of this this interview will, will make our uh, best of role, but but not nine questions, probably. Not nine questions. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> maybe maybe will. <laughs> there were some good Terrible. ones actually in there. There were some good ones in there. Some thoughtful no, they ones. weren't. I, it was I think I was, I was hilarious way. during it's this. Good either way. <laughs> like if there was no, if there was like a starting lineup of of rapid fire guests, I would not be on it, right? Probably I wouldn't even not. be on the roster. No, no, but you make the previous like 50 minutes though, you'd be in. Family so. feud, you'd be shit. You'd be standing there on the buzzer. Okay. No, no, because Jerry D's a buddy. <laughs> Jerry D's a buddy, so she should help her out. No, no, I don't think she'd be no, prepared in any way. She'd still get it wrong. Oh, man. Isn't there rapid fire 30 seconds? It's five Usually. questions in 30 seconds. You don't see You know, anything. Amy's actually still here, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, sorry, Amy. Uh, listen, we, oh, we, 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 we should say farewell, though. Again. Start again. 
No, we should say farewell, though, Amy. This is great. Thank you so much. We're going to get you back on again, assuming you want to come That's back. You're a liar. No, we are. Farewell to Amy. This is great. <laughs> no, we'll this was great. Again. This was really great. <laughs> no, we, we do. It was great. We, we love having you on. And uh, it was you know, good. We're, we're thinking about getting rid of Jimmy and bringing you in. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the Craig. first one. Huh? Craig, remember? When I just have to tell you, rapid you got, Jimmy. I just, I just have to tell you too that rapid fire took twenty-seven minutes. <laughs> Hold on, Amy just asked a very important question about Terrible. about. Amy, did you just ask a very important question to Jimmy about his microphone? Is that what I heard? I there? did. Yeah, I said, "Where's the mic?" <laughs> there it is. There it it's is. It's a paper. It's a paperweight now. It worked it's for actually like working. one show. And I figured out how to use it before I was trying to swallow it. Oh, it is working. I think it is working. Oh, it is working. Why do you, it's working. Why do you leave it in the hallway? It should be in front of you. It's working Speak now, into Jimmy. It. It's quite Speak heavy. It. Speak into it. Yeah, but why is it in the hallway? It should be in front of your mouth. Speak into it. Is it working? I have so many questions. <laughs> so do we. Speak into it. Speak why into is it just there? And it's well, on. <laughs> Jimmy, please speak I, into yeah, it right I now. Have nine, I have nine rapid fire questions for you about your mic. <laughs> Go on, then. It is working. It's bloody working. It is. Why Turn is it, it over there? in front of your face, you Dope. Because I was told, I was told last time it was too close, pull it away, and then Wonger. It's actually working. Wonger told me a secret that I've got to put it just to the side, facing up, so that it picks everything up. Facing no, up. Pretty, <laughs> too far away. Before I had it like that. Yeah, you did. Put it in front you of did. you. It was very in your face. It was like your microphone, Amy, at Pandemic. Yeah. You know, if, if people ask us your ever, what what is Free Prime, just play the last 30 seconds. This is perfect, Free Prime. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It bloody works <sighs> all this time. And he's not got it in front of him. <laughs> I got told not to put it in front of me. They said, well, put it in like shite. I, I didn't tell you not to put it in front of you. You were complaining that you can't see the screen. So I said, oh, put because it, it was like that. At one point. Yes. Well, that's because of you. Then you said, put it to the side. That's a tip. Listen, listen, everyone, we have a guest on right now. Okay. And we're, oh, we're, we're bickering. Amy's still here. Children. Sorry about that. Amy, I'm sorry. Sure I apologize. The house is. No, it's okay. This is way better than rapid fire. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're a bunch of children, All right, Amy, really. we, we should really this go. Thank you so much. This happened. Yeah. You were great. Not just Thanks, good. Amy. You were great. You're like, see how uh, I do in the playoffs, and I might be yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. What's your we prediction? You. What's your Montreal's prediction? How far are they going? Oh, I think they're going to win the East. I think at the very least, yeah. They'd be a great team then. Yeah. Uh, I will give honestly, them greatness if they get to the final. Sure, why not? You'll the give hell? them greatness. They're a good team. They're a better we'll team than them the previous great. Montreal teams that have been in the playoffs. That's why I back them. They're a they're good not, team. They're not. It's not one yeah. star or two guys. It's not Nacho carrying no, his team. Like, that's, they're a that's team. what's so great about them. Like highly rotated squad, they still play really well. Mm-hmm. And then how about Kone lately? Like I know everybody was Amazing. talking about him, but, but the next big thing. But then the way you play with Canada, and then the way you played last game, like he's unbelievable. Good. He's really enjoy him while you can. Right? Yep. He's off somewhere. He looks at things, but good for him. Yeah, before he goes to KFC, so enjoy it. Get out of here. You can keep your black socks. <laughs> All right, let me try again. Anyone else want to interrupt me with another question? No? That's it? No, wait okay. here. Amy, thank you so much. This is brilliant. Um, this has been an interview. That's been Amy Walsh. We'll speak to you next time. Cheers for listening. Bye, newspapers. Follow us on Twitter at footy underscore prime and on Instagram at footy prime IG. 
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.